1: In addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees, that is to say I'm a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property law. Both of my master's degrees in law were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco, and because of my training, My personal experience, my personal interests, and my expertise, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course taxation law. And I'm proud to say that on occasion, as part of my practice, I am also sometimes able to seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves victims of the various forms of financial elder abuse. I am, as always, so pleased to be able to come to you once again today from the beautiful KFAC studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your individualized search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances. And hopefully, I can provide you with an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. I do this because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter, especially one dealing with your finances, is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky, you can get real, real close to your adversary, and you might even scratch her on the arms or even poke her in the eye, but more than likely, you're going to be dead on a rival. That is to say... Your valid, meritorious claim or your valid and meritorious defense against someone coming after you will likely see the promised land long before you do. So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Selman's Law here on KFAX, just in case you haven't guessed it. It is to discuss the law related to your money and sometimes, unfortunately, well, more than likely, unfortunately, the lack thereof and your overall finances, and what you need to consider to protect your families or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. Now, the last time we were together, we continued our discussion of Bankruptcy 101 by providing a 30,000-foot uh, level overview of bankruptcy. And bankruptcy, again, is a federal legal procedure that you can use if you're an individual or you're part of a family unit or you're a larger small business or even a state governmental unit or subdivision and you are insolvent. That is to say, you owe more money than you're able to pay or repay according to the contract that you have with your creditor. Now, bankruptcy slows down the debt collection process, and it may allow a qualified debtor to be released from some or all of her debts. However, bankruptcy uh, can also be used by individuals, families, large and small businesses, and governmental, that is to say state governmental units, who may be solvent on paper, but they lack sufficient liquidity to pay the debts as they come due. And in the case of solvent debtors, they may seek out the time under the protection of the bankruptcy court that allows them to gain the necessary liquidity to deal with some or all of their debts. Now, regardless of the cause of the financial distress that led to insolvency, As the case may be, the laws concerning bankruptcy provide the remedy that is spelled out in Article I, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, which cedes to the United States Congress, that is to say the legislative branch, the power, among other powers that are enumerated, to establish uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. And these uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy are currently manifest in the United States Bankruptcy Code, the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedure, along with appropriate federal and state statutes and federal and state case law dealing with the relationship of and the rights and duties between debtors and creditors. Now, when a person or organization initiates a bankruptcy procedure... We say that he, she, it, or them filed a petition in his, her, there, or its local bankruptcy court based on where the debtor lives or where their business or state governmental agency is headquartered. In essence, commencing a federal lawsuit asking the applicable bankruptcy court to place that debtor under the protection of the court to stop all actions of its or their creditors, at least temporarily. This is so that the debtor or the appointed Chapter 7 trustee, as the case may be, can sort out and sort through the debtor's finances and financial history and come up with a logical plan to either liquidate the debtor's non-exempt assets to pay his, her, their, or its uh, creditors, or in the case of The debtor is in a Chapter 11, 12, or 13, the time to draft, obtain creditor comments and objections on that draft, and hopefully gain the court's approval of the draft and then finalize plan of reorganization, while the debtor remains in possession, at least temporarily, of all or most of the debtor's exempt and even non-exempt assets, However, in exchange for maintaining this control, the debtor's reorganization plan in 11, 12, or 13 must allocate that portion of the non-exempt assets for repayment over the course of the debtor's plan of reorganization. Now, we also discussed why in a capital-based, market-based economy such as ours, why we need a well-thought-out bankruptcy process and procedure that is designed by and overseen by our federal government? The importance of bankruptcy in our, in our capitalistic system is that it provides a way out of an otherwise hopeless financial situation for the debtor, and it provides some semblance of fairness in the repayment that the debtor must make to his or her creditors. As such, bankruptcy is an essential economic instrument, one that can transform an overburdened individual or their family back into a productive and useful member or members of society. Similarly, bankruptcy also can be used to restore the usefulness and functionality of a governmental, a state governmental unit, and to at least pave the road for a return to profitability for for for-profit entities. Now, we also touched lightly on the alternates to bankruptcy. During uh, the... We discussed the fact that before there was a formalized bankruptcy process in any government, debtors who could not meet their obligations were subject to severe penalties, such as in the ancient world where debtors who could not pay his or her debt would often be forced into slavery under the control of their creditors. Or even a thousand years later in England, uh, there, when we had the first uh, bankruptcy laws Uh, implemented under the reign of Henry VIII in 1542. These laws remained uh, pretty severe and provided that debtors were criminals with penalties such as imprisonment and sometimes even death. This treatment of debtors continued well into the 19th century in England, where when a debtor uh, could be accused by any of his or her creditors, and once that happened, the debtor would have a short time to raise the money to pay off the debt and if the money was not promptly raised and returned over uh, returned or turned over to the creditor the debtor would be imprisoned until the debt was paid so in effect that short period before the debtor was arrested Uh, He or she would scurry amongst her friends, especially those who were part of the aristocracy, would try to get their friends and relatives to come up with the money. And if they did not, they would be locked away. And then it was a a form of blackmail when you think about it. Um, They would have to stay in jail until the debt was paid. Again, you know, begging their relatives to please come up with the money. And, you know, that is why there's so many strange relationships in in Europe, Uh, wars and marriages for money and debt service and the like. Uh, So that was kind of bizarre. But I I find that part of uh, world history to be quite fascinating. You know, and, and even as recently as 200 years ago, even after the formation of our own country, Long-held puritanical beliefs about moral failings of debtors sustained our own system of debtors prison until the late 1820s when the attitude about indebtedness in America began to change for two important reasons. The first was that imprisoning debtors really didn't make a whole lot of sense. And when we come back on the other side, I'll tell you the other reason. So we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side.
0: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue today's discussion on Bankruptcy 101, laying the foundation for us to get into our discussion on exemptions. But again, to summarize, you know, in America, even as recently as 200 years ago, even after the formation of our own country, our long-held puritanical beliefs about debtors being creatures with moral failings. And therefore, debtor's prison seemed a good place for them to go and think about, a good place for them to time out in jail to think about uh, why they were indebted and and how they needed to be uh, repentant about it. And that went on until the late 1820s when the attitude towards indebtedness in America began to change. For two important reasons. First, that a system needed to be developed to better deal with debtors. The first being that imprisoning debtors or forcing them into involuntary servitude was an extremely severe punishment. And our society began to recognize that it is common for people to acquire overwhelming debt because of circumstances that were beyond their control, just as today one might uh, end up in bankruptcy court because of huge medical bills. Well, unless one intentionally made themselves ill and needed to have heart surgery, that's something that's basically beyond their control. And, and you know, finally, in my opinion, an even more important reason for in, avoiding involuntary servitude or imprisonment for debtors is based on this practical observation People who cannot work freely are unproductive and they are a burden on the tax base and the rest of us. And when such debtors are liberated from prison and the burden of their debt through discharge used in bankruptcy, they can once again become useful and productive to society as a whole. So in sum, bankruptcy law is critical In the proper functioning of our capitalistic market-based economy, where you see the laws of bankruptcy act as a safety valve to give entrepreneurs and individuals and families the freedom to take on the risk of starting businesses and starting family units with the knowledge that if they run into financial distress, that is a result of an honest miscalculation of a business risk or a downturn in the economy or a shift in the marketplace that causes financial distress, or when an individual family takes on the risk of purchasing a new home or automobiles or other consumer debt, or they take on uh, the risk of underwriting the formal education for themselves and their children, as long as they took on that debt, those economic risks and obligations um, that resulted in the distress, they were taken on with the intent to repay and not intended to manipulate or uh, calculate to perpetrate fraud on their creditors. Our government, our federal government, has a constitutionally based legal procedure that may give the honest owner of a business and the honest members of families a chance to start afresh without the burden of overwhelming debt that tends to destroy their quality of life. The bankruptcy proceeding, as I've said before, also gives the debtor's creditors some semblance that they will, some assurances that they will receive their fair share of the debtor's non-exempt assets, even if that fair share turns out to be nothing. Now, I want to talk about, uh, for the rest of the show, I want to talk about something known as the exemptions. Now, under the bankruptcy code, Uh, That is to say the collection of federal statutes that have been created and are periodically updated by Congress as part of its constitutional mandate. The Bankruptcy Code contains the basis for an individual debtor to attempt to exempt property from what is known as its bankruptcy estate. Now, you should know that when a debtor files for bankruptcy, she automatically creates a bankruptcy estate, which is akin to a deceased person's probate estate and into which all of the debtor's real and personal property flows to create a pool of assets with associated values and from which, that is to say this pool of assets, some or all of these assets can be liquidated legally to pay some or all of the debtor's pre-petition obligations as well as her post-petition expenses. Now, the exemption process in bankruptcy is an integral part of the fundamental bankruptcy goal of providing a honest debtor with a fresh start. That is to say, it is part of the bankruptcy code governing exemptions that allows exempt property to remain with and under the control of the individual debtor and his or her family following the commencement of the bankruptcy proceeding. Now, exemptions work hand in hand with the ultimate goal of bankruptcy, and that is to say obtaining a discharge of your pre-petition debts that you did not pay over the course of the bankruptcy. The discharge insulates the debtor's future earnings from the reach of her pre-petition creditors. And exemptions allow debtors to keep certain necessary real and personal property or their equivalent value uh, for that exempted real or personal property. As a general matter, The bankruptcy estate comprises all of the debtor's interest in property as of the time of the bankruptcy filing, as well as those interests that may be recovered pursuant to the transfer and avoidance provisions in the code. That's part of the code that says within a certain amount of time prior to bankruptcy filing, if assets changed hands in a way that is contrary to the provisions of the bankruptcy code, those assets can be pulled back into the estate. Say somebody thought they were clever on the eve of bankruptcy or within the years or months prior to that, I'm going to file for bankruptcy. So I'm going to transfer my house to grandpa so it won't be part of my bankruptcy estate. Well, golly gee, the trustee can trace that property and sue grandpa and pull it back in and so that's what is meant by transfer and avoidance you can avoid a transfer as part of the bankruptcy proceeding or say an unscrupulous person obtained your property your real or personal property via fraud or they abused you as part of an elder abuse process again The transfer and avoidance provisions of the Bankruptcy Code will allow you now to sue them, or if it's a Chapter 7, the trustee to sue them to pull that those assets back into the bankruptcy estate. That's why the bankruptcy code is a very, very important tool in our economy, and it plays a certain role in. In, in equity, that is to say, it, uh, bankruptcy courts are courts in equity. They not only follow the law, they also attempt to do what's right by all parties, including people who uh, had fraud perpetrated against them. Okay, so there are two, um, uh, basically, so to exempt certain properties from their bankruptcy state, what you actually do is remove that uh, property from the bankruptcy estate and it removes it from the reach of the creditors. Uh, In the case of a Chapter 7 uh, and in the case of a Chapter 13, it um, reduces the amount that has to be allocated to the reorganized debtors creditors. Now there are two overall sets of exemptions as part of the bankruptcy process. One is a set of federal exemptions, and the other is a set of state-based exemptions. As each of the states, the various states, the 50 states in the United States, has its own set of bankruptcy exemptions that's developed by their individual legislative branches in each state. Now, the federal bankruptcy exemptions amounts as of April 1 of 2019. I'll just highlight some of them. Um, because every three years the Bankruptcy Code recalculates uh, and and changes the amount of the exemption for federal amounts, and the states uh, likewise update the amounts. So the federal exemption, uh, for example, if you have a home with equity in it, you can exempt $25,150 worth of equity. That doesn't go very far here in California if your house has a lot of equity in it. But again, these are federal exemptions. So in in some states, $25,000 is a substantial amount of equity uh, that can be exempted. Uh, Also, again, I'm talking about the federal exemptions. Uh, You can also exempt up to $4,000 in an automobile. The idea being you need that car to get to and from work. And if you can exempt it, you might be able to, to keep it. You can also exempt uh, uh, the interest that you have in your household goods and furnishings. For example, any, and that includes wearing apparel, your appliances, your books, your animals, your crops, uh, your musical instruments. So it's $625 per item or up to $13,400 in the aggregate. And there's also something called a wild card exemption on a federal um, uh, basis, and it's up to 12575 Tools of the trade that might be your, um, your toolkits if you're a mechanic or my law books if I'm a lawyer. If I, I'm under the federal exemptions, tools of the trade are exempted up to $2,525. Uh, and there's also exemptions for life insurance, If you have a a lawsuit where someone caused you bodily injury, you can exempt more than $25,000. Also, a certain amount of the money pulled back in for uh, an avoidance of a transfer, that can also be exempted. So I'm going to uh, leave it there for now, and when we come back next time continue our discussion of exemptions and bankruptcy. Till next time, take care. And always here at always Law, you want to stay on the right side of the law, including the law of bankruptcy. So take care. Bye for now.